Well, good morning, church. Hey, Christmas season is upon us. Are you all ready? Yes? Yes? Really? Wow. (laughs) I guess. It is my favorite time of the year. We've already started watching our Christmas movies. The tree is up, though it barely fit in our house this year. We almost didn't have room for it. If anybody wants to gift us a new house, about three times as big and completely paid for, let me know. We got the candy canes out on the tree. We got the peppermint ice cream in the freezer. It is Christmas time. Maybe you saw this meme lately. It's been making rounds. I should have brought a picture of it. I didn't, but it's, it, it said this, and it was uh, pretty funny, actually. It's, it said, billions of people around the globe are getting ready to celebrate the birth of a Jew born 2,000 years ago in a country they didn't think existed before 1948. (laughs) But it is, it's Christmas time. The days have become busy. The days have become hectic, at least for me and our family. It's chaotic. Everyone's seasonal disorder Effective, you know, seasonal affective disorders, every, all that stuff's kicking in. I think it's rained nonstop now for how long? Right, yeah, too long. They said uh, a month's worth of, worth of rain in six days or something like that. It was a ridiculous amount. It was worse up north in some parts and along the coast and stuff. It's still raining. It hasn't stopped, right? It's just crazy. And in the midst of that, there were these little uh, weather forecasts of where possible snow possible snow. I kept thinking, okay, well, if it wants to turn to snow, I'm all for it, but quit raining. Quit raining. I'm dreaming of a wet Christmas, just like the one we had last year. I'd like uh, some snow, is what I like. It doesn't have to be a lot, but, you know, Christmas is much better with snow than rain. Uh, A lot of prayer requests have gone out, and I hope you guys are are praying for everybody. Um, Friends, Loved ones, a lot of people outside the church, friends of friends, stuff like that. We have so many people going through different things, um, unknown illnesses. Um, a friend of ours, uh, Sam Sunquist, uh, he's been in the hospital for over a week. I think he's coming home here, possibly. Uh, but they still don't really know what was wrong with him. But they're they're following all kinds of of different remedies. We got kids sick, kids at home sick, watching. Uh, on the TV, a lot of people we know are dealing with different health issues. Um, and that's hard. It's hard during Christmas time because it always seems to, you know, to come on stronger sometimes uh, during this time of, of joy and this time of peace. You know, it's hard for us to go. It's the most wonderful time of the year when we're at home coughing and sick and everyone's coughing and sick and, you know, it's pouring down rain outside. But it's Christmas. And so for the next few Sundays, hopefully, you can consider this our Advent series, um, though we aren't really liturgical in that sense, but hey. Um, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which comes, from, they say, is a translation from the Greek word parousia, which just means coming. And in the New Testament, that Greek word parousia is used over 20 times, somewhere around 24, 26 times, something like that. And the majority of the time it's used, it's a reference to the second coming of Jesus. So Advent means 
arrival. It means an appearing. It has to do with uh, a first appearance or the coming of something. And in this case, that something is the incarnation. incarnation. That something is the birth of Jesus. So these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the coming. We're going to be talking about the arrival, if you will, of Jesus, the reason, right, for the season, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to remind us of the hope, the blessed hope that's found in the birth of Christ Jesus. It's an opportunity for us as believers to remember God's promise to send one who would overcome sin and death forever. God's promise to send a Savior. And all of the promises, I mean, think about why you can go through the Bible and you can write down you can all the reasons that Scripture, New Testament Scripture says why Jesus was born, why he came. Right? And you're going to find that Jesus was born to take away sin. Jesus was bo- born to destroy the works of Satan. Jesus was born to give us eternal life. Jesus was born to be our atoning sacrifice. Jesus was born to be the Savior of the world. Jesus was born to prepare us for his second coming. All these things are wrapped into this picture of the incarnation, about the birth of Jesus. And all of that should give us an expectant yearning, right? a celebratory hope. All of that should give us joy and peace, even in the midst of rain, even in the midst of struggles, even in the midst of sickness, even in the midst of everything that we're going through. We can rejoice in all things because of why Christ came and what Christ did. See, we know, everyone here, I'm pretty sure, knows that the birth of Christ is more than just a great kid story. It's more than just a beautiful nativity scene. It's more than just an inflatable light-up lawn ornament, right? It's, it's proof of God's faithfulness towards us and his great love for us. This is what we remember. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time, but quite frankly, we celebrate it all the time, or we should be, 24-7, seven days a week. It's not something that should be limited to just Christmas time. There are those who just focus on it at Christmas and forget it the rest of the year, but that's to their detriment. We shouldn't do that, right? The birth of Christ is prophecy fulfilled. It's a promise kept perfectly. It's no less significant than his death and his resurrection. It's a reminder that God so loved the world that he gave his son, right? The word became flesh. He was born into a broken and sinful world and he was born into it to save us from the wages of sin and death. Because the wage of sin is what? It is death. So this morning we're going to uh, pull our scripture from Isaiah. It's going to be Isaiah chapter 9. And we're only going to read one verse. It's going to be verse 2. This is a popular chapter at Christmas time, mainly because of verse 6, and we'll get to verse 6 later in the next week or the week after, I can't remember. But um, this morning we're going to read verse 2. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for the work of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for what he did on the cross and what he's done for us and the fact that he was born into a world to save us. 
was a rescue story. To save us from sin. To free us from bondage. And I thank you, Lord, for that. And I pray we never lose sight of that. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are many customs during Advent season, and like I said, we're not really liturgical in that sense. If we did, we'd have all kinds of certain colors hanging up and, you know, wreaths and all these different things that you'll, you know, you go into a church that follows Advent season, a little more liturgical, Orthodox church or something like that. They do different things on different Sundays, different candles, different colors, different songs, different psalms, different scriptures. It's all part of the Advent season. We're not really like that. But one of the things, one of the customs of Advent season is the, uh, the Christmas wreath. It's the Advent wreath. So you have this wreath that's, uh, you know, probably evergreen or something like that, or fake, because most of that stuff is fake nowadays, unfortunately. But maybe you actually went out into the woods and got some stuff and made yourself an actual wreath out of an actual tree, evergreen or, or whatever, and you put uh, five candles on it. You have four colored candles surrounding a white candle in the center, and the candles are lit one at a time on successive, successive Sundays. So you would have started uh, last Sunday, I think, uh, the first Sunday of December, and you would have lit the first candle, which is for that candle of hope and expectation. Now, the rest of the candles, um, getting down to the center candle, the white candle, the other candles are really up to the church. They can have different meanings. They can have different things that they reflect on when they light the candles. There's no set specific order besides the first candle, which is hope and expectation, and the fifth candle, the white candle, the center candle, which they light on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, depending on the calendar and how it falls compared to Sunday right? And that candle, of course, is the Christ candle. The white candle is about Jesus. And it's a reminder that Jesus is what? Jesus is the light of the world, right? Jesus says in John 8, 12, you know, we're not there yet, but we're getting there as we study through the gospel of John. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It already said in John 1, as we were studying through it, remember that, that Jesus is the light and his light is the life of men. And so that center candle, that white candle, is the Christ candle. You would light that on Christmas or Christmas Eve to remember the fact that the light of the world is Jesus. Jesus is the light that is shown on those who walk in the darkness, just what we read. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shown. That's Jesus. Jesus is the light that is shown on those who walk in darkness, on those who dwell in the land of deep darkness. And guess what? Jesus is a light that cannot be overcome. Darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus. And in that we find hope. That's where we find hope because we all feel like it's just unbearable. And everything is it's just coming in on us and it's getting a little bit too much to carry. We almost feel like, like, like we're going to collapse. But Jesus says no. My light cannot be overcome. Right? He's come to pull us out of the darkness. Jesus is a light that gives hope and brings joy and leads us to salvation. That's Jesus. Now, when it comes to Christmas time, of course, we're all about candles and lights. And, you know, my, I should have brought a picture of my house. I got all my lights up outside the house, and I have a big star that sits over a little nativity scene that we have outside. And I have a huge snowflake that sits on one side of the house that did not work this year when I plugged it in. But I still left it up anyway because it looks good during the day, even though at night it does not shine. 
That's the way it is every year. You plug in your lights one year, they work. The next year you plug them in, they don't work anymore. Just like my tree. Didn't turn on either. All right. Well, the Jews have a custom as well. They have the festival of lights. It's called Hanukkah. That's how we usually know it. The festival of lights. Or it's also called the festival of lamps. Or if you're in John chapter 10, it's called the feast of dedication. It's Hanukkah. Right? There's a, your Hanukkah candles right there. There's nine of them. The, the, the ninth candle is for rest. It just started, actually. It just started December 8th. It's going to run for eight nights. Hanukkah means dedication. Hanukkah means consecration. Uh, you can find the Hebrew word in the Old Testament. I think the first use of it's in Numbers chapter 7, verse 10. But it's not a reference to Hanukkah as we know it. Right? It's just the use of the Hebrew word Hanukkah. Because Hanukkah is a Hebrew word. And like I said, it means dedication. As the holiday, Hanukkah wasn't observed back when Numbers was written. Now, I know that probably most of you know this. Hanukkah falls usually close to Christmas, right? And so it's often looked at as sort of a Christmas holiday. But Hanukkah has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas. Obviously, it has nothing to do with Jesus. Not in a straightforward sense. And of course, it has nothing to do with Santa Claus or St. Nicholas or any of those things that we relate to Christmas. It's just a Jewish holiday, religious holiday, that happens to fall in winter. And yet we see all these pictures of Hanukkah where you'll see the, the, the menorah and the, and the candles next to the Christmas tree and all the presents on the tree and the snow falling down outside. And you think, well, Hanukkah is just like a Jewish Christmas. Basically, that's what Hanukkah is. Woo-hoo. Jewish Christmas. No, it has nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing. It has nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, if you read up on it and the scriptures that talk about it, and there's no scriptures that talk about it really in the Bible. You have to go non-canon, right? Apocryphal. <coughs> First and second Maccabees and uh, the stuff written by Josephus and stuff like that to find out about the history of Hanukkah. But if you look at <coughs> what it says, can you give me some water, please? If you look at what it says... You'll find that they describe Hanukkah as a uh, delayed observation of the eight-day feast of booths. Matter of fact, they call it, they say that that it's an eight-day festival because it is done in the manner of the feast of booths, which is why it is the holiday that falls pretty much after the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths, and so it's done in the same manner. And so, but it has nothing really to do with Christmas. But yet, when you look at the actual Christmas story, when you look at the birth of Jesus, when you compare the birth of Jesus from more than just a, uh, a literal standpoint, but you look at it, what it stands for and what it signifies, and compared to 
what the Jews are celebrating when they celebrate Hanukkah, you'll find that even though the two have really nothing to do with each other, they actually have a lot in common. There's actually a lot in common. Right? So what is being celebrated during Hanukkah? Do you know? Right? Simply put, what is being celebrated is Freedom. Freedom. Roughly 166, give or take, plus or minus, you know, a couple of years before the birth of Jesus, there was this group of Jewish rebels who got the name the Maccabees, though that wasn't their actual name. Maccabees, they think in Aramaic, means uh, hammer or, or hard-hitting hammer or something like that, and it was kind of more of a description of how they fought more than who they were. But you have this group of Jewish rebels, and what they did is they led a guerrilla warfare campaign against the Seleucid king, which is just Syria, right? The Syrian king, King Antiochus IV. Now this was, like I said, basically the Syrian king who had gained... Israel was in, and has always been in, in a sense, a really bad spot, <laughs> right? They're this little sliver of land in between all these other lands that are always fighting with each other. And so history, over history, all these lands and different kingdoms have, you know, at the time of this, I think it was Alexander the Great and, and like, you know, people like, and the Syrian king, these people were fighting against each other and Israel's just caught in the middle. They weren't necessarily fighting Israel, but in control of gaining their kingdoms, they got control of Israel because Israel was in the middle. So Syria, the Syrian king, basically gains control of the land and he was a very oppressive, tyrannical king, to put it nicely, right? And so he was oppressing the Israel, he was oppressing the Jews. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty, but uh, Antiochus issued decrees forbidding Jewish religious practices um, and then he took their religious practices and he compromised their beliefs with uh, Hellenistic Greek practices. So they were now allowing people to uh, sacrifice to idols and worship you know, pagan gods and all this stuff in the temple in Jerusalem and stuff like that. But it was way more worse than that, right? It was a, it was a huge reign of terror. I mean, Antiochus stole millions in gold and silver from the temple treasury. He, he made it the law that if you possessed scripture, if you possessed the law, right, um, it was punishable by death. He said that circumcising a child was punishable by death, right, which was Jewish custom. Um, and if you were a mother who did circumcise your children, you were to be crucified with your child hanging around your neck. Um, under his reign, the temple was turned into a house of prostitution. Under his reign, the great altar where they did burnt offerings was turned into an altar for the Greek god Zeus. Uh, he sacrificed pigs upon the altar in the temple. Talk about abomination of desolation. A lot of people will say, well, that's when the abomination well, wasn't quite the same. You could say it's like a precursor, a foreshadowing of the abomination of desolation, right? And under Antiochus's reign, when he was in control of Israel and, and Jerusalem, he, he killed 80,000 Jews, and he also probably sold another 80,000 Jews into slavery. He was a terrible king, right? Terrible king. So anyway, there was this rural Jewish priest, really the Maccabees or the son 
were the sons of a priest. The four, the four or five brothers, or however many there were, uh, was, where they were the sons of a priest. His name was Matthias or Matthias or something like that. And he basically started the revolt against the Seleucid Empire, right? Because uh, he refused to worship Greek gods. And then there was a Hellenistic or a Greek Jew who stepped forward to sacrifice to an idol and, uh, and he killed him. <laughs> he killed him. And then he and his sons fled. And they went and fled into the wilderness of Judah. And it was basically one year after that, give or take, that uh, his son Judah, Maccabee, as he was known, uh, led an army of these rebels to victory over the uh, Seleucids and guerrilla warfare. And the warfare first was directed against Hellenistic Jews, but then, of course, it was against the Syrians. And there was a lot of battles, and it wasn't just like overnight or anything like that. It was stretched out. But after the victory, the Maccabees entered Jerusalem in triumph, and then, then they ritually cleansed the temple, and they reestablished traditional Jewish worship, and they installed Jonathan Maccabee as high priest. And so Hanukkah, when the Jews are celebrating Hanukkah, Hanukkah is celebrating the cleansing and the rededication of the temple following Judah Maccabee's victory over the Syrians. Right? So that's Hanukkah. And that has nothing to do with Santa Claus. It's a much more graphic, violent picture than generally we relate to Christmas. But it was a fight for freedom. It was a fight for freedom, but this is where the miracle comes in. Because when they were cleansing the temple and rededicating the temple, etc. According to tradition, right, they had to relight the menorah. But they could only find oil, one jug of oil, sealed with the king's signet, I think. The only reason they could even use it was that it had not been touched. It was not contaminated. Um, but there was only enough for one day. So they broke open this jug of oil, and this is what Barclay writes about it. He says, it was told that when the temple had been purified and the great seven-branched candlestick relit, only one little cruise of unpolluted oil could be found. The cruise was still intact, still sealed with the impress of the ring of the high priest. By all normal measures, there was only oil enough in that cruise to light the lamps for one single day, but by a miracle, it lasted eight days until new oil had been prepared according to the correct formula and had been consecrated for its sacred use. Miraculously, the oil lasted eight days. And therefore, you have eight candles with a ninth candle for rest. Hanukkah. And as I said, you can't find this event in the Bible because this happens in that 400-year gap between the end of the New Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. So it's not recorded in the Bible. We don't have it. However, it is, like I said, in the writings of Josephus. It's in First and Second Maccabee, which is stuff that we would consider non-canonical or apocryphal, but they are in the, the Septuagint or were in the Septuagint. And uh, of course, in the Catholic Bible, in the Old Testament of the Catholic Bible and other similar Orthodox Bibles, they have those books in them. So you're like, well, how does that relate to Christmas? 
right? How does that relate to Christmas? How does that relate to the Christmas story? How does that relate to the birth of Jesus? Simple. It's about freedom. It's about liberation. It's about being set free from captivity. The Jews today celebrate Hanukkah to remember a time when they revolted against a reign of terror which turned their temple into an abomination, which didn't allow them to worship God. When people were trying to take away their freedom to worship God in the way that they knew that they were supposed to, following uh, their laws and their rules. So they're celebrating the time when they were set free from this oppression and from this bondage. And they light these candles to symbolize the miracle that God performed during this time. Well, what does Isaiah 61 say? Remember, this is the passage that Jesus quoted when he was teaching in the synagogue. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who were bound. See, it's about freedom. It's about liberty. Jesus was born to set the captives free. He was born to take away sin. He was born to destroy the works of Satan. And it was all for our freedom. Right? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, as it tells us in Galatians 5.1. Right? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, as it tells us in Romans 8 and 8.2. We were in bondage. We were in captivity before Christ. And in Christ we have been set free. Right? He who knew no sin became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. But before that, we were not the righteousness of God. We were as unclean, as an abomination, as that temple was that had been desecrated by the Syrians. Well, but we have been made righteous through Christ. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate the fact that Christ came into the world. His incarnation, that God, right, came and became flesh. The Word became flesh. Jesus was born first to take away sin. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus, right? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to do what? to redeem those who were under the law so they might receive adoption as sons. In other words, to do what? To set them free. To redeem them. To liberate them. And this is what we celebrate. This is what we can't lose lose sight of because Christmas holiday is today, of course, commercialized and everything as it is. And, uh, you know, people have lost sight of the fact that the reason we even celebrate Christmas It's because Jesus and what Jesus did. It wasn't that Jesus was just born. Yes, right? That advent, the first coming, if you want to call it that. right? Remind us of his second coming where we have hope knowing that he's coming again. But it's that he came to do great and miraculous things 
not only in our lives, but in the whole world, right? He came to seek and save the lost. He came to set people free. He came to destroy the works of Satan. That's important because just as this was a physical battle for the Jews and what they're remembering was this uprising and revolt against the Syrian empire that happened a couple hundred years before Jesus was even born, right? For us, there isn't that, right? But what is there? There's a spiritual warfare. There's a spiritual battle going on. From creation, Satan has been looking to destroy the things that God created, starting with those who were created in his image. He can't defeat God, but he can sure pick on you really well, right? He can sure tear you down. He can sure do his best to destroy you. And so when Jesus was born, he was born to destroy the works of Satan. It actually tells us that. I'm not just making it up in case you're, oh, you're just sort of pulling things out of your ear. No, actually it's in 1 John, right? Chapter 3, verse 8. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. It's one of the reasons he was born. We're in a war. It's a war against the powers of darkness. Jesus is the light of the world and his light shines in the darkness. But as it tells us in John chapter one, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. It can't be overcome. Satan will not win. But that doesn't mean he's not going to make your life tough. Terrible, right? Try to drag you down. We may not be in a physical struggle like Israel when they're under Syrian rule, but we're in a spiritual struggle. We're in a spiritual struggle daily right? Satan's prowling around like a lion, right? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. What does Jesus want to do? Jesus wants to give life. Jesus wants to pull people out of the darkness into the light. Jesus wants to give hope and joy and peace and grace. That's what Jesus wants to do. He doesn't want to tear people down. He doesn't want to destroy people. He's not looking to kill and destroy. He's looking to save, right? 1 John 4 9, God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Jesus wants to give life. Right? 1 John 1 5, this is the message that we have heard and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We were once in darkness. That's what the Bible tells us. We were once in darkness. We were the one who, as it says in Isaiah, Right? We were the one who walked in the darkness. We were the one who dwelt in the land of deep darkness. And guess what? A light is shown. That light was Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world, and he's shown that light, and we saw that light. And that's what brought us to Christ, because light can't have fellowship with darkness, so he has to pull us out of the darkness, right? We remember at the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 4, right? Light is good. It was separated from darkness. God separated it from darkness. Light doesn't fellowship with darkness, and we're told now that we're in Christ not to have anything to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. We don't live there anymore. We don't celebrate that. We aren't supposed to be having anything to do with those fruitless deeds. We've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. We've been called out of the darkness into the light, into the light of Christ. Right? So if we claim to have fellowship with Jesus, yet we continue to walk in the darkness, what does the Bible tells us? It tells us that we lie. Right? It says we're not living the truth. If we claim that we are light, but yet we're living in the darkness, we're lying. We're not living the truth. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. That's what Jesus says. It's not where we want to be. 
That doesn't even sound appetizing, right? I mean, I don't want to be in those, in, in the land of deep darkness, right? I mean, that just, I'm, I don't really want to go there. Have you ever been outside in the dark that's so dark that you can't see your hand in front of your face? Have you ever been in the dark so dark that you wonder where the stars went to? Well, that you don't even know where your next step's going to take you? Am I going to step off a cliff here? Where am I going? I don't know where I'm going. So we're to put aside the deeds of the darkness. And what are we supposed to put on as it tells us in Romans 13? We're supposed to put on the armor of light. We're now children of light. Right? 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're no longer darkness. We're now the light of the Lord. We're now sons of light. We should live as children of light. We should imitate Christ. We should be light as well. We should be a light in the darkness. So at Christmas time, of all the times, we should be letting our light shine out. And I'm not just talking our Christmas lights. I'm talking about the light of Christ. Because there are so many people today that are in the darkness, that are lost in the darkness. Right, it tells us 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's shown his light in our hearts. And our lives were changed. And we're now lights. We're lights that are still living in a dark world. But we're not hiding our lights. We shouldn't be. I should have brought that video of Dale singing this little light of mine that he sent <laughs> this week. It was very good. Um, we're to be shining our lights, even more so as the day approaches. Right? He's shown his lights in our hearts. We need to be shining our lights now on those who are lost in the darkness. Those who are looking for the hope of Christmas time and don't understand why they should be rejoicing, why they should be joyful. Don't have that joy because they don't have the joy of Christ. They don't have that peace because they don't have the peace of Christ. To them, it's just another chaotic, hectic, stressful time of the year that they wish they didn't have to celebrate, that they don't really know what it means, and they don't understand the significance of Christ's birth because they don't understand what he came for and how he came for them to give them hope, to bring them out of the darkness. Speaking of bringing out of the darkness, I'm going to wrap it up with this. We watched a movie the other night. It was on Disney+. Plus. It was a short little movie. It's like 40 minutes long, something like that. It had John Travolta in it, though he's just a little bit part, okay? But it did have John Travolta in it, if you're a Travolta fan. It was called The Shepherd. It's based on a book that was written back in 1976 by Frederick Forsyth. And just so you know, this story, even though you may have never heard of it before, because I had never heard of it, just so you know, this story's been read on every Christmas Eve on CBC's radio, one show since 1979, and CBC is Radio Canada, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And it was 
the, the story is set in the mid-1950s, I think it was 1957, and real simply, as far as the story is concerned, it was about a, a British pilot, a young British pilot who gets to go home for Christmas, and he's going to be flying across the, the North Sea. It's about an hour flight, I guess. He was flying from Germany to Suffolk, and, and uh, anyway, he, he takes off to fly home for Christmas, and about, I don't know, halfway across or so, his plane starts experiencing all sorts of weird instrument failures and electrical failure failures etc and then all of a sudden what was to be really good weather uh becomes really foggy and and before you know it, it's the typical bad luck scenario uh he's lost in the fog his compass is out the plane's running out of fuel he's radiant for help he gets no reply um he starts praying and with about i don't know three minutes left of fuel or something like that an older plane shows up and uh guides him home and, and helps him land. And, and that's where the story gets kind of, you know, mystical or whatever, because it turns out the pilot and, and all these things, these are either angels or ghosts and they don't really exist. And they disappeared back in 1943, et cetera. But, but the reason that the, he wrote this book originally and the reason that the film was made had nothing to do with ghost stories or angels or Christmas or anything like that. He was writing a story to honor pilots who in World War II when they came back from a flight, came back from a mission, landed the planes, grabbed a quick bite to eat, jumped back in their plane, and flew back up to lead other pilots home. Their whole purpose, they knew that there was pilots flying back whose planes were injured, whose planes had electrical, mechanical, you know, issues, been shot up, barely, you know, holding on, just trying to get back home on a wing and a prayer. And these pilots would go back up. These pilots were called the shepherds. And these pilots would go back up and they would just fly around and they would just be on the radio. Charlie, Tango, calling whoever, just waiting for somebody to speak and say, I'm here, I need help. And then they would find that plane and lead that plane in. They said, you know, thousands and thousands of pilots were lost during World War II, but the World War II, but the numbers would have been extremely higher if they didn't have these other pilots, the shepherds, who on their own time went back up to lead people home. That's why the book was written. Right? Here's the idea behind here's, you know, the application behind that. The Bible tells us that one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. He's lost. We know this because we've been there. But you're not lost. Right? Because you know where you're going. You're a child of the light and you walk in the light. Right? You're a light in the darkness. Jesus says in John 8 too that whoever follows him does not walk in the darkness because they have the light of life. Right? His word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. We know where we're going. We can see where we're going. We, we're not lost. We're not in the dark. So what are we to do? We're to guide them home. Right? We're to point them to the great shepherd. We're to point them to Jesus. That's what we're to do. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you just continue to work this out for us. I pray, Lord, that you just continue to remind us of the reason for the season, Lord. 
for us not to forget the reason why Jesus came, the power and the freedom and the hope that comes with that. And I pray, Lord, that we can continue to do just that, to be a light in the darkness, to point people to Jesus. We can lead people home. I pray, Lord, that we continue to do that daily, not just during Christmas time, all the time. So I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.